Evil to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 911, I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Lebel, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. I'm grateful, oh yeah. Able, oh yeah. I'm stable, oh yeah. No label, oh yeah. What's going on, guys? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back. Episode number... 57. I think this is the first podcast I've done where I haven't worn a hat. It's like 130 podcasts, including the old one. I I figured, hey, the hair is almost long enough to rock it. It's not quite flow yet, I I don't think, but uh, we're not going to wear a hat. Thank you, guys. If you're watching live, of course, I'm Brady Liebold. Coming at you guys from Muskoka, Ontario. Just every time I say that, I, I honestly have to fight back tears because I'm just one emotional emotional guy these days, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with who I am. I'm okay with what I've gone through, and a big part of that is due to your guys' support. I love you guys so much. Uh, from day one, it's been incredible. I want to give a very special shout-out to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day, especially this guy right here. That's right. 
my dad and me sitting at the Hockey Hall of Fame many moons ago uh, with Gordy and Wayne behind us. But uh, I haven't uh, talked to my dad on the phone today, just through text message. I'm going to call him after the episode. But without my dad, I have absolutely no idea where I'd be today. And I know it's been not an easy road. He's been a guest on the podcast several times and uh, our relationship is so much better today than it ever has been. Dad, I love you. Thank you for never really turning your back on me, even when you probably should have. Uh, I'm so lucky and so just grateful to have you as a dad. Um, while I'm on the topic of Father's Day, there's a couple other things. I want to had a really great day uh, today with Taylor and the kids. And I got this really cool gift um, from the kids today. Um, and the, what's really neat about it is I'll take this picture down. You know, no dress rehearsal. This is our life. That's one of my favorite quotes from a tragically hip song. There's a hockey jersey, a hockey stick. But if you look closely, there's a picture of I'm trying to get it in the screen. Brooklyn up there and then Brody down here, um, who I haven't seen in a number of years. So Father's Day is always very hard for the past, you know, five or six years. Still trying to mend some relationships in my life. None more important than my kids, Brooklyn and Brody out there in Maple Ridge. And just know that I'm thinking about you. And today was a, a great day, but especially hard day. Um, I love you guys and, and I miss you like crazy. But I am grateful for, for the relationships I do have in my life. And I'm so grateful for Hadley, Lincoln and Veda. Um, they're really my world. So um, thank you to Taylor and the kids for the beautiful gift. And once again, happy Father's Day to all the great dads out there. It's uh, sometimes a thankless job. Uh, we're going to get to one sponsor. We're going to come back with the end memory and we'll get right into the episode, guys. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leobold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssue.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you to Regan Bartell. Love that guy. Love his voice. Pitter-patter. Let's get at her. That's how he starts every single game. What an honor it was to play for the Kelowna Rockets. Really, it was just an honor to play in the Western Hockey League at all. And I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about the dub tonight. Uh, but yes, thank you to Jesse Paradise. Check out Team Issued, promo code TOEDRAG15. And for all of you though that have you know watched my show, listened to my show, you know that you know, a big part of what I do today is, is remembering those that we've lost in the hockey community, those that have lived hard lives and have been touched uh, by substances, alcohol, or suicide. And so you can see all the pictures behind me. Every episode, we add one more. Um, and tonight is somebody that we've honored a lot on the show and will continue to do so. Um, tonight we remember Bob Probert and I'm very lucky, you know, to have made a great relationship with Danny Probert and his four children, Brogan, Tierney, Declan and Jack. Um, they've become, you know, big supporters of what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about them today and, I uh, sent Tierney a text earlier, just, you know, sending my, my love down there today. And, um, you know, Bob really needs no introduction, but he's the captain up above, as, as I like to call him, hockey's angels. Uh, we lost Bob July 5th, 2010, uh, to cardiac arrest. And uh, it's no secret that he lived a very, very, very tough life. 
Um, but I know that he's uh, up there taking care of all hockey's angels. And tragically, there's way too many of them. Um, Danny was on my podcast and she made me the promise that if I get my motorcycle license for a year, that I can actually ride Bob's Harley in the Bob Probert Memorial Ride Parade. And um, this morning, uh, I woke up uh, and I got a card uh, from Susan Cook upstairs and I got a great present, which is a ticket because we're, they're not able to do the ride uh, this year due to COVID, but they are still doing a fundraiser, $25 a ticket. They're sen- selling 2,400 tickets guys. And the winner gets a Harley Davidson and this all proceeds go to the Bob Probert Memorial ride. So can't think of a, a greater gift. Thank you, Susan. Uh, and if you guys want to, Check them out. Go to their Facebook page, uh, the Bob Probert Ride. All the info is there. All the proceeds go to the new Cardiac Center in the Windsor, Essex area. Hopefully, I'm going to win a Harley, but I still want to ride Bob's, Danny. So uh, we'll see about that. Anyways, guys, you know how this goes. We'll see you guys in a few minutes. I'm going to be honest, growing up in Port Coquitlam throughout the 1990s, I really had no idea what the Western Hockey League even was. It was always my goal to just play for the local junior B team, which was then called the Poco Buckaroos. At that time, no one from Port Coquitlam had really played in the Western Hockey League, but in the neighboring town over of Coquitlam, there was a plethora of brothers who were well on their way in the WHL. The oldest of them, Doug Lynch. I am most familiar with Doug's youngest brother, Jason, for a couple of reasons. First off, we were the same age and we battled against each other extremely hard from the earliest times that I can remember. But what sticks out nowadays is the fact that Jason is a Vancouver firefighter. And during my time that I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, Jason Lynch actually revived me from an overdose without even realizing it was me. I mean, I really look nothing like you would have remembered. Doug is the oldest of four brothers who all played in the WHL. Doug Lynch was drafted in the first round, seventh overall in the 1998 WHL Bantam draft by Brent Sutter's Red Deer Rebels. And during his second season, during the 2000-2001 year, he was able to attend the CHL Top Prospects game. Red Deer also captured the WHL Championship and they even went on to win the MasterCard Memorial Cup in which Doug scored the game-winning goal in overtime. It doesn't get any better than that. After that tremendously successful season, Doug was selected in the NHL entry draft in 2001 in the second round, 43rd overall by the Edmonton Oilers. During his final season of junior, Doug was traded to the Spokane Chiefs And this provided a unique opportunity in which the Lynch brothers were able to make history. In late 2003 at the Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver, in which I was in attendance, Doug, Scott, Jeff, and 15-year-old Jason, who had been drafted by the Chiefs, were all in the same uniform during the game playing for the Spokane Chiefs versus the Vancouver Giants. All four brothers playing for one team in the WHL. I'm not sure we'll ever see that again. As a hockey fan, it's one of those nights that I'll never forget. And I feel very lucky that I was in attendance. Following his WHL career, Doug Lynch turned pro the following season, suiting up for two games with the Edmonton Oilers, but predominantly playing for the Toronto Roadrunners of the American Hockey League. 
He found great success that season, being named to the AHL All-Rookie Team, and he was even an American Hockey All-Star. During the 2005-2006 season, Doug Lynch's rights were traded to the St. Louis Blues. And after appearing in 29 games for the American Hockey League team, he finished the season with the ECHL's Alaska Aces, in which he was an instrumental part down the stretch, helping them capture the 2006 ECHL Kelly Cup Championship. Lynch would spend one more year the next year in the American Hockey League for the Peoria Rivermen before taking his talents overseas to Austria. Lynch would play seven seasons in Austria in the EBEL, primarily for Salzburg, and he also was able to capture three championships overseas. After the 2013-2014 season, Doug Lynch hung up the skates and retired from hockey, and so poses the question, what do we do now? So many of us after hockey have fallen on our faces, not knowing what to do or where to turn to. But that has not been the case for Doug Lynch, and it's very refreshing to hear this, and I'm excited to hear his story. He's going to cover most of it, but in 2018, he helped found Zenkai Sports, better known as the Sweat Experts. It's an apparel company that is nothing less than next level. I'm going to let him tell everybody the science behind it after we get through his hockey career, but I'm super pumped to hear where he's at today. It's interesting, too, that a couple of Tri-Cities boys from British Columbia are now both in Ontario. So without further ado, guys, let's bring them in. Originally from my neck of the woods, Coquitlam, British Columbia, now living in Toronto, Doug Lynch. Doug, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Brady? Good to see you, brother. You as well, man. How's things? Uh, things are good. Uh, I think all, like everybody, we're, we're um, excited to get through this pandemic and the uh, lights at the end of the tunnel. Things are opening up and seeing friends again. So uh, the last couple of weeks, I, I'm it's it's exciting to see the kind of hopefully the end of this. No kidding, man. It's uh, it's been tough, especially out here in Ontario. I feel like you know our our lockdowns have you know been a little bit tougher than anywhere else in the country of people I've been talking to. But yeah, the light is hopefully at the end of the tunnel and. Um, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. And, and before we get going, I want to give a special shout out to your mom and dad and, and your brothers. I mean, I can't tell you how many battles like your brother just <laughs> hated me as a kid, man. Like I was such a pain in his ass and, uh, you know, we battled pretty hard. So it was always, uh, you know, it was cool though, because you were pretty much the, you know, the closest, you know, entity of human that I knew that was playing in the NHL just through, you know, Jason having his oldest brother, you know, pl playing at such a high level, even in the WHL. So it's really cool to connect all these years later, man. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, you did such a great uh, eloquent opening, but uh, I just want to say to my three younger brothers, they're all fathers now. So I want to wish all three of them happy Father's Day, along with my dad, uh, like you mentioned, Sandy, a happy Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there. And Keep playing sports with your kids, man. It's uh, yep. it's a great gift that yeah, that you can teach uh, any uh, young person, boy or girl, to play sports. No kidding, man. And uh, just quickly, we'll touch on it. I I know that you know. I asked it was one of the first questions I had when we talked on the phone a couple of weeks ago. If your dad, you know, is still working with CCM because growing up, you know, your your brother was always in the brand new CCM gear and head to toe CCM because your dad was a CCM rep, which I always thought was so cool, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's funny how you know everyone kind of takes on maybe the traits of their parents, and 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 if you look up to your mom or dad, you know, they kind of want to follow in their footsteps. And it's funny, Brady, because going to practice as a kid. I always thought you had to have the same name equipment for head to toe because that's all we at war with CCM. So I go to the rink. I'm like, 
this kid's got Bauer skates or graph skates and Jofa shin pads and a Bauer, you know, uh, elbow pad. And I'm like, I don't get this. I don't, why aren't they all the same company? And I was so confused. But um, the one good thing um, was we all just got the discounted stuff. And we got the people don't realize is that when some people get returned to the a store, like a skate's missing an eyelid or something like that, we would get those. So a lot of the time our stuff was like secondhand, but it was brand new, but there's a defect on it. So I don't know if you remember Gary McKenzie, legend, yeah, uh, skate sharpener and fixer of everything. So we yeah. would take all of our stuff to Gary and, uh, you know, God rest his soul. And uh, he'd repair all of our shim pads and stuff that were brand new, but we got to return to the, the sports store. So, um, yeah, it was great. Uh, sure, it saved my parents a lot of money and equipment growing up. No kidding, man. Four boys um, all playing in elite level hockey. I mean, you guys, well, we'll dive right into it, man. I mean, you kind of paved the way for your brothers. I'm sure, you know, especially, you know, Jason being the youngest and right around that time where he's trying to like, you know, find himself and hit that stride. There you are, you know, scoring the the OT winner uh, in the in the Master Card Memorial Cup. Like, Tell me, tell me a little bit about before we get into that, just because that excites me, man. That's like every kid's dream to score a goal like that, and and you did it, and it's so cool. And that team was phenomenal, by the way. The guys that were on that team, you guys had such a great team. But I want to ask you because I played against Sutter right well, quite a bit when I was in the dub, um, and and there was one time uh, where, and I've shared this in an earlier podcast, but I, I had to ask you if you ever had to do this because we we uh, we played and we showed up whatever the next and the the next morning and the night before they had played, the rebels had played the Prince George Cougars who were not a very good team that year. They ended up blowing a lead and losing like seven, three, they were up three, nothing lost seven, three. So the next day, you know, we're at pregame skate or whatever. We see the entire red deer rebels team. They all have wood sticks with work, <laughs> with work written on the blade, like with a Sharpie pen. And we're like, what the hell is this? And then we're like, okay, hey, that's just for practice. Sure enough. We come out for warmups work and wood sticks were like okay it's just for a warm-up nope the whole entire game they all had wood sticks but no <laughs> red deer rebels that's the brand of the stick red deer rebels and they all had white tape with work written on it and they ended up beating us did you ever have to do that yes so it's one of my favorite hockey stories to tell i get asked about it whenever we go to we have a reunion with the mem cup team we talk about it so uh we were the first team that that happened to okay. uh, it was brent's First year or second year coaching? I can't remember. It might have been my, my rookie year. Can't quite remember. Anyway, we're in Brandon. And we were down going to the third period and weren't playing well. I think it was probably the fourth or fifth game in the East Conference uh, road, road trip. And in between periods, uh, Radar Horning, still to this day, unbelievable guy, great trainer, came, comes in, doesn't say a word. And he takes all of our sticks. It would have been my second year because the second year we had synergies. So I think we're the first team to get synergies in the WHL because of Brent and because of you know our, our kind of high-profile team. And Radar comes in, our trainer, takes all the guy's sticks without saying a word and walks out all of them underneath his arm. And we're in between periods of a game. It's in second intermission. And two minutes later, he comes in and he just drops brand new wood cohos like 13 rights and 13 left shot blades and drops in the middle and just says this is what you guys are gonna have to use next period and we thought it was like a joke we're like okay get it we're not playing good okay brent we'll pick it up and sure enough like you hear the clock go for like two the two minute warning and we're like 
So now you have 22 of us or 20 of us taping sticks, like brand new sticks. Some sticks are way too tall, some are way too short, going into the third period of a Western Hockey League game in Brandon. And he had, sure enough, we had to set right work on the blade of it. And uh, I remember going out in the period and like the brand's kind of looking over like, is this, is this serious? Is this really happening? We're skating around going like, I can't believe this is happening. And I remember we won or lost the face off in the third period. I went back to one of my closest friends on the team, Bryce Toma, and he got this puck on his stick. Obviously he'd never used this stick before in his life in the middle of a game. And he skated up to the red line to like shoot the puck in. And this thing had a kind of a hook on it and he shot it like 10 rows up in <laughs> behind the, the net from like just inside center. Like, and you just can't help but kind of laugh and yeah. shake your head. And, oh yeah, we used that for the rest of the third period. I can't remember how much we lost the game. And um, yeah, that real game, real, it's a true story. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, it happened to us when I was playing with the Broncos. They had to play the whole game, and they beat us. The no joke. <laughs> they actually beat us with wood sticks, and I'm not. It was we were we were like, oh, like this is a joke. Like the whole way through pregame skate, yep. you know? And by that time, like I said, like uh, you had co-hosts, and I'm sure these maybe were co-hosts, but they were red and black. Right. Rebels colors with the big with red deer rebels down the shaft. And I was like, where'd they get these out of like the souvenir shop that people can <laughs> I swear to God they were is like, you know, that the ones that are laid out on the table, you come in the dressing room, you gotta yep. sign something. That was like 25 of those sticks and all the ones, all the uh backup sticks are everywhere. Yep. Like, wow, this and this is my rookie year, and I'm like, what isn't this like the best junior league in the world? Like, what the hell's going on? But that's Brent Sutter for you, right? He is definitely uh, a, a different cat. He thinks the game differently. He's a tremendous experience, tremendous success. But he wasn't afraid to, um, you know, let everyone know that uh, it's his way of the highway and yeah. this is how we're going to do things. And it, and the best part about it is he was always honest with what he wanted. It's just hard work, run through the wall for him and your teammates. And uh, if you did that, you 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 know you were fine. But if you didn't, uh, the wood sticks were coming out. That's so funny. Um, were you going to say something? Sorry. I, I, no, no, no. I just, I mean, I don't know how, how long we have, but the Brent stories that I have, I mean, I played for three and a half years for him. Uh, there's a lot of Brent Sutter stories and uh, he taught me a ton about hockey, ton about life, but man, there's, um, there's some fun stories. No kidding. I feel like, you know, I feel like, you know, cause I, I knew Jason, right. I didn't really know um, you or, or Scott or Jeff that well. Um, you know, I didn't even think I met your other brothers until I was much older. So really all I knew was Jason and Jason was always one of the most professional um, kids for our age, even at the under 16s, under 17 programs. Um, he was always in the best shape. He was always, you know, presenting well, not goofing around, not getting into all the crap. And um, I'm wondering, you know, how much of that do you think he learned from you? And, and how much did Brent provi like provide you an opportunity to become a professional at junior level? Or was that something that was kind of ingrained in you guys as kids? Or, or how did that all come about? Yeah, no, good question. Um, I think first of all, it comes from my parents, Sandy and Joan, and my parents are both excellent athletes. My dad played professional lacrosse for seven years. So he kind of knew a little bit about how the pro sports kind of game works. And the Western Hockey League, like you knew Brady, is, is basically you're a professional at, at 16 yeah. years old. So from a very young age, we were taught, you know, you know how to shake hands and, and look people in the eye and Mr. and Mrs. And, and be respectful. And like, you know, as a rookie, you know, this is like, 
you keep your mouth shut. You show up, you work hard. Uh, when you're spoken to, you respond, you're, you, you treat your elders, the coaching staff, the training staff, the GMs um, with respect, the older players with respect until you kind of earn that trust and you earn that ability to have your confidence come out and your, your personality come out. So earlier on, we were kind of taught that through sports. Um, you know, as an older brother, then I, you know, I was kind of the first to do everything obviously. And then, you know, I'm sure my brothers kind of saw it and trickled down a little bit through them, but I never, never kind of thought of myself as, Hey, you got to do what I do. And I think kind of true leadership comes from like being yourself. And if people decide that that's someone they want to follow, they kind of follow, but like, you know, the best leaders that I played for and I've seen, not just in hockey, but the business world, they just show up and do it right every single day. Yeah. And if you go and have fun the night before and you're out late, that's okay. But guess what? You're the first one to work the next morning at the practice rink on a day off. It doesn't matter. So I think earlier on, um, you know, I, I had learned that from my parents and then coming into someone like Brent who played, you know, was it 18, 20 years in the NHL had won the Stanley cup, won Canada cups coming into Red Deer, he has still instilled that right away as well. And we were treated as professionals. Uh, you had to go to school, you had to be on time. And if you weren't, you were suspended and you had to sit out games. And I think with the the sports and 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 the being in those kind of environments, I think earlier on really molds you as yeah. a young man as a, or as a young lady, if you're playing a different sport, team sport. But yeah. um, you have to be accountable to a lot of people than just yourself. And Brent taught that, taught that as an early age. And um, I'm happy to hear that you know Jason was that way when he was uh, was was with you and you knew him because it's not easy to take care of yourself. You yeah. know, it's not easy to go to bed early and get your workouts in and eat properly. There's a lot of temptation out there. No kidding. And you know, there's um, uh, you know, I just I had no idea what it took to be a pro, right? Like or even like a junior. I just kind of like floated in all the way through and was never I mean I had so much other stuff going on mental illness and stuff I'm not making excuses but at the same time it was like I don't know it, when you when I reflect back and I think especially about like say like the U17 provincial camp top 40 you know there there's a couple guys that really stick out in my mind is like true professionals back then one would be your brother the other one would be you know Carey Price um and and guys like Brock Bradford and even Gilbert Boulet like those were the the four guys that you know, we're the ones that were always like, we're like, what the hell are these guys doing? But then it was like, we were the idiots. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, so it's interesting. And I just I wonder, like, how do we, how can we do a better job preparing, you know, kids, um, like you said, whether it be boys or girls or whatever, um, to, to get ready for that next level, if that's something they want to achieve, because the pressure is so great. And I'm curious to, to how you hand you handle that pressure personally, going into say the WHL, like your first year or two, were, were you nervous at times? Did you have mental health breakdowns? Like where you were homesick or anything like that? Like, what was your overall experience like? Yeah, well, first of all, absolutely, I did. I I remember being homesick. In fact, I got I remember the first day I was really homesick. It was actually our first day off, Brady. So we got to camp, you're on the ice every single day. Then you go to exhibition season. Then they told me I made the team, and I think for two or three weeks we didn't have a day off. You're always you're always at the rink doing something. I remember my the first day off was like probably middle September or start of September, and uh, it was like a Sunday. And I just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I, I think I cried. I broke down in kind of the room at my billet's house. We're just wonderful, wonderful people. But I was just, I felt alone. I was by myself. And like, yes, of course you have teammates and coaches, but I'm alone in the city. I've been in for like three or four weeks. I'm 16. Your, your, your parents are not quite ready for you for a 16 year old to leave home 
for nine, 10 months. And then this yeah. is again, to date myself back when we didn't have cell phones yet. Yeah. I had a landline at my parents with a calling card, uh, yeah. with my parents to call for my billets house. So yeah, I, I struggled big time and I was just really fortunate that I had a, a strong family unit at home that I could call when I felt sad. I had two or three really best friends, like really good teammates on my team that I could open up to because we're all going through the same thing together. And all yeah. of them became my new brothers. Yeah. Um, my brothers were still at home, so they hadn't left home yet and made it a lot easier when they start leaving home and then we all kind of go through it together. But you really lean on your support system, your billet family, my teammates, my brothers. But um, I don't think anything really, like it's really hard to say prepare you for something at that at that age. I think some people maybe adapt to it a little bit easier than others. Um, and it's so hard to kind of know. And I remember for myself, I never looked at hockey as a job. Like I would go home and shoot pucks like hours and hours in the garage and the basement, wherever I could just get a, a plank to shoot pucks against. And I never looked at it as work. And I think when you have a true passion, it's like, that's all you want to do. And for me, it's just like, I, I remember like, Oh, I had to get good grades in school. It's not because I cared about school. It's because I wanted to play hockey and <laughs> I had good grades to keep playing hockey. So it's like, I, it's almost like when you're like even like teaching a dog, if your dog loves food, it's really easy to teach them, right? Yeah. And so for me, it was like if someone threatened me not I couldn't play hockey, it's like that was my whole world. So I was kind of really fanatical about that where all I wanted to do, like everything else in life was a means so I could play more hockey. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting because I made a video about this and it's not like, you know, I came up with this. People have been talking about this forever. And I, I, I'm a huge Dave Goggins guy. You know, he's pretty uh, out there. Hard. Stay yeah, hard. He swears a lot and everything else, but he's real. And, you know, he talks about, you know, if you really want to achieve greatness, you have to be really willing to sacrifice everything like and become obsessed with it. And, you know, it seems like I know for me, like a lot of the time, whether it was because I loved hockey, yes, but it was because it was also my first escape too to get away from all the stuff that happened. But I'm, you know, the same thing. And my focus kind of kind of just started to dwindle as, as I got a little bit older um, and is where it seems like you and, and even Jason and, and other guys that I played with or against the ones that really, you know, were always on, on track and, and, you know, made it and, and different things. It's like, they were always just zeroed in and it's a very interesting way you put it. Just, you know, <laughs> thinking about the school, you know, you did well in school, but not because you really cared to, because you wanted to play hockey and because you had to. And I think that's, you know, there's, it's just something important and getting down there and shooting pucks and, and, and loving it. Right. It shouldn't have to be like, Oh, I have to go shoot 500 pucks today because you should be excited about it. And if you're not excited about it, maybe it's not for you. I, I really believe that. And I always tell these kids like, that's okay too like i think all kids want to play in the nhl obviously that play hockey but at the end of the day it's not for everybody because people and you can attest to this people the general population and people that have not played at, at whether it's not through hard work or you know had, hadn't had the chance to or whatever even play in the western hockey league and then move on to pro really have no idea what it takes like i i see fans Doug and I'm like, you know, yelling at TVs and, and I will say I'm yelling at the TV a little bit these days. <laughs> I have to kind of retract it because now whatever. But I just remember sitting in the stands and listening to fans yell and stuff. And it's like, man, I just wanted to look at them and be like, do you have any idea like what it takes and everything else? So it, there's so much that goes into it. But you found, you know, obviously a tremendous amount of success through the the WHL. You played in the CHL top prospects game. You won the Mem Cup. Um, 
And then you get traded to Spokane. Um, and you, you guys had that just incredible night, man. And I was there. I was fortunate enough to be there. And I our whole team went because, you know, I wasn't on Jason's team, but, you know, I was on Pork Quitlam and we all mm-hmm. knew he was playing and everything. So, like, it was our whole team that went. It was such a such a cool night. What was that night like for you if you could just bring us back for a second being the oldest brother of four and all of a sudden you you take the ice and warm up and there's you got all of your brothers including jason with the nike helmet with the i can still see it the half kid yeah. bubble in the cage i can still see it like you know yeah. it, uh, it must have been pretty cool no it was incredible and like you said in the intro brady i it's it's i mean every record's meant to be broken but it's going to yeah. be to have six siblings playing or sorry five siblings playing at the same time in the same team in the Western Hockey League or the OHL or the Q, I think it'd be really hard to beat. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it was an interesting year for me. Um, I we'd won the Memorial Cup, came back the next year with the top team in the CHL. Uh, you know, the captain. We had you know guys like Boyd Gordon and Bryce Toma, Jeff Waywicka, um, Colby Armstrong, uh, Cam Ward was our goaltender, yeah. and we end up losing in double overtime to Kootenay, who was by you know Jarrett Stoll, Thomas Pleahall, Pleahall, Tommy Gunn. Yeah. He was so good, man! Oh, that- unbelievable! Yeah. Yeah. And it was almost we knew the West uh, that or say the East that year was so strong that kind of whoever came to the East probably was going to go back to the Memorial Cup was kind of the feeling in the league, and um, we lost in double overtime. Sure enough, they went on to the Memorial Cup. They won the Memorial Cup. And so looking back, that was, that was a tough, tough loss. I was on the ice for the overtime goal and it was, it was, it was a tough one. And then coming back as a 19 year old, the next year we're going, okay, guys, like we're winning the Memorial cup this year. Like that was our only focus. We started the year like 13 and one or 13 and two, um, four or five of us. I think four of us went to the all-star game where I played with a uh, whitey Ian white. Yeah. We, we played with each other as defense partners in that all-star game. I came back from the all-star game in October and uh, Brent had traded me. And it was, it was devastating. I was devastated, cried with all my teammates that night. Um, again, as the captain of the team, I'd been there for you know, three and a half, four years, won the first Memorial Cup in franchise history. You know, I have memories forever. And you they, they look, you literally won. Yeah. I mean, it's a team <laughs> game, but you scored the goal. So yeah. 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 No, it's an incredible memory, incredible team. And um, they looked to bring some more forwards in and they, we, we had a, you know, uh, our defense was really strong. So I got traded for a forward. So I remember Brent called me in and said, I traded Spokane. And I said, okay, well, you know, at least, um, at least I have my brother there. Like Jeff was, was playing there for two years now. I'm like, that's, that's, that's exciting to me. So packed up within 24 hours and packed my, my car up and I've been dri- driving to Spokane. And then Scott, um, my second brother, he got yeah, a concussion in, in Prince George. So I hadn't played for, I think, a month or two, and he got traded for like a draft pick. And they kind of got him for nothing because he was, he was on the IR. So now Scott was there, but he wasn't playing every day yet, but he was there. I'm like, this is, this is crazy. We went from one brother and you know, three of us on three different teams to you know, three of us on one team. And then Jason had been drafted by Spokane the year before one of the later round picks. And you know how it goes. Sometimes 15 olds get called up. Sometimes they don't, you know, it's kind of hit or miss. And sure enough, Scott came back and started playing in the lineup. I was already playing with Jeff and uh, they called up Jason for, for a couple games to lock in his rights for the next season. And uh, we played that game together and it was, a, it, it was incredible. It was just, you know, of course there's kind of hoopla and the fandom at the start of it, but then the puck drops. It's just like another hockey game. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we ended up losing the game, but um it was incredible. And I look back now at the pictures and, and the memories and um, Jason was only up there for, I think a couple weeks, you know, during the whole time. So he didn't, he wasn't really on the team the whole year, but um, pretty incredible experience and something I'll never forget. No kidding, man. That's, and like you said, that's, 
like it's different, right? You could get four or five brothers and that would be a long shot on a pro team because there's no window, right? Of, of age, right. You're, you're 15 to 20 and that's it. There's five years. And unless you can yeah. have a, sets of twins and they're going to be remarkable hockey players i mean how is that ever going to work so it's it's pretty amazing man and and like i i still remember there's a couple nights you know i remember watching my friend ned lakasovic play for his first oh, game yeah. he scored his in his very first game um you know the year before and and i just remember i just remember watching your brother play and i at that time i was like there's no way i'm ever going to play in the western league because i quit i quit the u16s because i thought i was going to get cut um and i i whether i was going to or not i kind of took it in my own hands and i so i didn't get drafted but i went back to the u17s made top 40 got listed by swift current and then all of a sudden signed and as a 16 year old it was like wow you know and so that that just goes to show that it's not always about getting drafted anybody listening but at the same time uh did did you ever consider going uh, the school route at all? Yes, I did. And uh, I, I was fortunate to have good grades, um, mostly because I was terrified of not being able to play hockey. So I had really good grades in school. And um, I mean, sure, like your listeners probably know, and like you know, is that if you commit to playing the Western Hockey League, you forego your scholarship eligibility. Yeah. So it's a tough decision as a 16 or an old 15. I think I was a 15 at the time, um, whether I was going to go play in the BCJ and then try to get the scholarship, which is two or three years down the road. And you don't know if you get injured, if it's, you know, you're playing for the right coach and the right situation, the right organization. Like, you know, Brady, how hard it is. It's not only do you have to be good enough at that level, you've got to have the right situation. With, with a coach, with a general manager that believe in you. So, um, you know, I sat down with, we, we had an agent, my, my agent at the time, representation with my parents and said, you know, I think we're going to choose to go the Western Hockey League route. And they have the great schooling option with being able to go to any Canadian university for every year you play in. Yeah. So that was a big thing for, for my mom in case I never actually, you know, played pro, pro hockey because there's a lot of, there's a lot of good players when you're younger and, and you think you're going to be somewhere and, and, and sometimes life, you know, has other plans. So, um, yes, I had the possibility just because I had decent grades to go the university route, but um, decided the Western Hockey League was probably best for my development. I was a bigger guy at the time, and, um, and I felt it was a better fit for me. But um, I, I have zero regrets, but obviously I'd be lying if I said there's some days I, I wake up going like, man, like going to like University of North Dakota or Michigan or some of those, yeah. you know, Ohio or some of those major schools and having that experience talking to a bunch of guys that went to college sounds like it's a pretty fun time. So um, I have no regrets, but definitely in a parallel universe, uh, yeah. it'd be a cool thing to experience. I feel you on the same on the same thing. And, and maybe a, bi a, a nice business degree might be helpful these days too but i'm sure you're finding your way we're going to hear about that in a few minutes but um you didn't play uh your final oa season you signed with edmonton and, and got into a couple games um what was that did, you know coming out of junior did you have the expectation of you know playing in the nhl the next season and and you know you played two games was there an excitement around there was there a disappointment because it was only two um and you found tremendous success in the ahl i mean all rookie team ahl all-star like instant success at essentially I, and people i always say this because i played briefly in the american league before i got hurt like that league is a lot better than i ever would have thought it was and you don't, you don't really seem to think you, you stop to think it's like well it is just one step below the nhl like you could plug in any one of those guys on any team onto you know whatever position maybe not on the first line or whatever but the third fourth line roller the the third pairing defenseman at any time and people watching would have absolutely no idea that the guy totally. It's it's so close. It's, I find it's the top end players. But you know, what was your first year of pro like, and what was the expectation, and where was your headspace with all of that? 
Yeah, well, like I mentioned, Brent did a great job with all of us kind of prepping us for for pro hockey, being defensively sound, being a good pro off the ice, being someone that's low maintenance. Um, so, and then it was great because I was only a couple hour drive from Red Deer to Edmonton. So I was just, it was just lucky to me where like guys like Colby or, or Boyd Gordon were flying to Washington or Pittsburgh for camp. So I was just a two hours up the road or an hour and a half up the road. So, you know, I had good camps when I was an 18 year old and 19 year old, um, started making some waves. I, you know, I was, I was fighting, I was being physical. I was, I was kind of playing the two way game that, that I'd grown accustomed to. Um, you know, I, they, they told me they're going to sign me. Uh, they want me to turn pro as a 20 year old. So I was kind of expecting that all summer beefing up, working out, you know, very, very disciplined on what I need to do the next year. And I, I came into the camp and, and Edmonton is one of those teams where they're like, listen, we're going to put you in the minors. We want you to get seasoned a little bit, play pro hockey, you know, you, you know, you'll dictate as well as you do getting called up. So I, so I knew right away I was going to kind of go down there. So I had a good solid camp, went down an awesome group and in Toronto, which, which I am right now was my first year of pro playing for the Roadrunners down there. Great group of guys, Jeff Ward, probably one of the best coaches I've ever had was our head coach. Um, allowed me to play my game, do what I needed to do. And you know how funny how the world works sometimes, but that year for Edmonton defense Corps, they, I think they set a record for the least amount of man games lost to injury. Like nobody got injured. So it just the way the season went, and then back then Brady was like oh four, I think, um, around that oh four or five. That was those are the years where Edmonton would make the playoffs or not by like one or two points every year. So yeah. I remember like in our they they would you know it sounds cliche but like November December it was a must win game to make the playoffs. Where you know other buddies of mine were up you know playing in in, in uh, like Chicago who had a terrible team, so they got called up. They're playing 20 or 30 games. They're getting their feet wet. And in Edmonton, it was just so tight, the margins of making the playoffs. So um, I remember getting the call. And it's kind of a funny story. My, my cell phone rang, and it was the um, – I think it was Robin Brownlee, who was the beat writer for the Oilers, and said, so just you know, just heard it's going to be your first NHL game tomorrow. Are you excited? And I said, I said, pardon? <laughs> and he said, he said, oh, has no one called you yet? I'm like, no. He's like – okay, I'm going to hang up now and call you back later. I'm like, okay. So my heart's kind of thumping now. And I'm like, you always go like, okay, is one of your buddies pranking you? Is that really happening? Like unknown number. And then sure enough, a few minutes later, I think um, the, you know, the, the, the coordinator, travel coordinator called said I'm being called up and flights, you know, leaving in two hours or whatever it is and pack your stuff. So um, I got called up on January 1st and we were in XL Energy Center, Minnesota. And it was a must-win game. I think it was January 2nd was the game. It was must-win game. Minnesota, us in the, in the division. And um, we won 2-0. And I, I played, played decent. Next game, we're in Chicago, United Center, back when they weren't good. 8,000 people. Hear a pin drop in there. And uh, we won that game, too. So, uh, uh, And then I remember Jason Smith-Gator was our captain. He had separated his shoulder, which most guys would be out for two or three weeks. And he missed three days. And he came back and played. The guy was an absolute warrior. I remember I was begging him after the game. I'm like, Gator, I'm like, that shoulder, he needs a couple more days, buddy. Like, just just take it easy. Keep the feet up. I got it. I got you. I got you. And he's laughing. He's no Lynchy. I'm coming back in the lineup. But um, so two games, Brady, but two wins, man. So yeah. I'm undefeated. Undefeated in the NHL. Undefeated. So uh, that was it. That was my ride. But I mean, I, well, I remember when you got called up and especially because you were again, and I've done, I've said this cause there's been a couple people growing up that I've had on the show now that I always made sure to get on my NHL rosters on the video game. 
And you were, <laughs> you were one of them, right? Because you were from, you know, essentially my hometown. So I always, you know, traded you for you or whatever and put you in the yeah. lineup. Just because it's like, you know, I thought it was cool as a kid. It's like, well, this is like the closest thing I have to to somebody that I, I don't really know. But, you know, he's from the hometown. So I'd always bring you on my team. And I, I, I remember that vividly. Same way I told Ryan Vandenbush the same thing because I met him as a kid. And uh, he right. gave so I do the same thing for him. There's a couple, a couple other guys as well, but you were always on my NHL. <laughs> you probably my- didn't win a, a, whole, a single game with that NHL team if I was on your team. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you were actually fourth on the team in points that year in the American. Hey. Yeah, and yeah, and, and you played with uh, JJ Hunter as well. Oh yeah, JJ Hunter. You ever talk? Because I played with Luke. Um, Luke is uh, he was the captain of the Swift Current Broncos. Like right. brothers, you know that he's like a country famous. Oh, like, they're unbelievable. Oh yeah, are they unreal? I I listen unreal all, all the time. Um, oh my goodness. What What was JJ like? Was he just like the nicest guy ever too? Just like Luke or what? The nicest guy, the best teammate. Um, you know, like he was not. He wasn't a real big partier, but he was a kind of yeah. teammate that would come and just be there all night with you. Yeah, and drive guys home, or just yep. help out if there's any situation where guys didn't know where, where we're going next, and kind of coordinating everything. Um, just the nicest guy. Love playing with JJ. I played with JJ for a couple of years. We're part of the other organization together, and um, yeah, we had a lot of fun together, a lot of dinners together, and I uh, wish him all the best. And uh, I haven't been to one of his concerts yet, so JJ, yeah. if you're hearing this, yeah, I need VIP tickets or something. I need backstage. <laughs> Right. Well, hey, listen, I, I, I've i had Luke on my show, actually. We had a really great chat and, and same thing. Luke was the exact same way. I never heard him say one swear word in my whole life or anything. He, I told this story when he was on there. He was our captain. He'd come in the dressing room and be like, frick me, boys. We're, oh, play- yeah. we're playing like crap. Frick me. And like I'd be like, like trying to laugh like an amateur little kid, right? But um, – an incredible dude and and same thing i said to him i said when your concerts start and you come out to ontario let me know so maybe we can get them to come close we can meet up and, and go see him and perfect it'll be so cool um yep. what about the decision we're going to get into what you're doing now as, as we wrap up the last you know however long I, we have as long as we want nobody tells me when i press stop on this thing i don't have it i do it all myself doug so we, we <laughs> make the rules tonight but um what was the decision like you know when you're like okay you know i played um, let me get the actual number, 236 games in the American League. Um, and you're like, okay, um, you know, it's not maybe going to happen going back to the NHL and I'm going to go overseas because, the, 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 to be honest, the schedule is not nearly as hard. Um, you get to see the world. The money is probably better um, where you were and, and just a great opportunity to continue doing what, you're lo- what you love. How hard was that decision for you or was it pretty easy? It was really hard. Um, part of me felt like I was selling my soul a little bit of not just continue to grind it out in the American League and, and get that chance. And you know, even a guy like Ryan Craig, who's a, a guy I grew up with playing with, who who's, guy. yeah, he was a he, you know uh, Craig uh, Ryan's a great guy. He was the last pick the year. He was two hundred eighty seventh or something Santa NHL Bay. pick. Uh, I think it was I think it was or it was a Tampa. Tampa maybe maybe he ended and, up. Yeah, there. you're right. You're yeah. Right. And, and he was up and down, up and down. And he was like, you know, captain, he, he won, I think the Calder cup one year, but he ended up carving out, don't quote me hundreds and hundreds of games in NHL, just as that last overall pick, just by sticking to it, sticking to it, being a great team guy, being a glue guy. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, man, could I have been one of those guys? It was up and down in the NHL and, 
and helping mentor the younger guys in the American League and getting a chance in the NHL again. And it was very, very tough. And, you know, similar to you, like I was, um, you know, as a physical player and, and in St. Louis, when I got traded to the Blues organizations, you know, I, I played a physical role and, and I was, I was, I was fighting whenever I needed to and sticking up for teammates. And it's a tough job. It's a tough job that back when you and I played, um, you know, concussions weren't really talked about. Um, I mean, how many times I got my bell rung and I saw stars because that's the terminology we used back then yep. and knowing what we know now, that's, that's a concussion. And, um, so I was playing the physical game and, and I knew what I signed up for, but I remember waking up one day going, man, there's gotta be more than this. Like I, I love hockey, but this, this to me, I, I don't know if I can, I can do this. If this is what it takes to make the NHL, I just don't know if, if I can do this rest of my life. And so I remember getting a call from Pierre Paget, who kind of followed my career and said, Doug, like, come over to Europe. And I talked about the mental health side, Brady. Like, I lost my confidence uh, in Peoria. Um, I was a long way home from my family. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a tough, it was some dark days for me. And, and in and out of the lineup, I played like 30 games one year, but I was healthy. And I was, I'd come in, I'd fight, go out of the lineup for a few games, come back in, fight, go out again. And it, it was a tough couple of years for me in Peoria lost my love of the game and I had to go to Europe to find it again. And I went to Europe and I got to play the game again and I could still play physical, you know, have the odd fight. Um, but it's, it's a different mentality over there. You, you're not traded. You're not kind of treated the same as in North America. And it was nice to feel a little bit of, uh, you know, that love for the game again. And, uh, I had a tremendous time for, for in Europe for six or seven or eight years, whatever it ended up being. I love my time. And to your point, got to travel and see the world, which, I think for anybody, obviously if you're an athlete or not, traveling is one of the number one ways to just broaden your horizon and yep. really educate yourself. Um, you just can't learn that stuff in a book. And so if anybody's out there has ever continue, you know, contemplating going on a trip, do it. You're not going to regret it. Even if it's not the greatest trip ever, it's an incredible learning experience um, seeing the world. Yeah, did I mean, yeah, it's and, and you got to play in Salzburg primarily. So you guys were sponsored or, or the name is Red Bull. And did you ever play with a guy by the name of Colton Yellowhorn, by the way? I just randomly asked. So him. Colton and I played against each other, I'm pretty sure in the Western League. And I, I was in Salzburg for six or seven of my years, but I left one year to play in Vienna. And I can't remember if that was the year he came and played in Salzburg or not. I but I so. definitely remember playing against him in Austria a bunch, but I don't know if we we're ever teammates, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, just a random question that I thought of now. But um, how much traveling did you do and in, in when you were over there? And, you know, and, and at what point in time maybe where you, like, was it, let's just skip that. We could talk about the traveling after. I, I really want to know. When you when it came to retirement, I mean, you get won three more championships over there. You got you won the only championship I ever won is a beer league tournament. So you got <laughs> me. I'm not even kidding. And um, and a couple my like Adam tournaments when I was young, Pee Wee maybe. Um, but you went, you know, you got multiple championships, a, a very long, you know, great professional hockey career. Maybe not the one that you wanted in the NHL, but nonetheless, an incredible experience and getting to do what you love now you hang up the skates after the 2014 season what was that decision like were you gonna maybe continue playing or did you know you were done and what was the transition like into real life after so fortunately i i retired you know on my own accord um wasn't due to injury or anything my body was holding up holding up well i've only had a few broken bones and you know countless stitches and, and torn mcl but other than that like my body was still feeling pretty good um 
Yeah, I, I finished the year, or sorry, I got released halfway through my last year in Salzburg. They wanted to bring in another import to play forward, and, and I was a, I was the odd man out. So I remember, you know, getting fired, and it was like January, and I had a paycheck coming for the next two or three months, so I didn't have to rush in anything. And it allowed me to take some time and really try to figure out what are my next steps are going to be. And, and most of us that play, that are lucky enough to play pro hockey, it's the 1% of those guys that sign the contracts that, that they don't have to work again after they're done playing. But most guys are like me where we play, you have a nice career, you play some games, but we know there's work coming. And it's, it's one of those weird professions where if you play to your 35, you're a dinosaur. Like, I mean, Yarmie Yager is one in a million. He's a unicorn, right? Most of us are, are by 35, 36, it's like your body just can't handle the rigors of that, that level anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just remember sitting there by myself going, you know, it's going to take me four or five years starting as a rookie in whatever new occupation I'm going to do, whether it's business, whether it's coaching or whatever it's going to be. And I said, do I want to look back now? I'm 30, I think I was 31 or 32 at the time. Do I want to retire now? So by the time I'm 40, I've got five, six, seven years in my next career, as opposed to playing till I'm, if I was lucky, 35, 36, but now it's like, I'm 42, I'm 43. And that was a decision I, I sat down and really wrestled with. I was still getting offers to go back in Europe. Money's a little bit less, a little bit worse. The city is a little bit, little bit um, smaller. The league's not maybe quite as good. So I was still getting the call to go to Europe, but I, I, had, I, I made the decision by myself that I wanted to focus on what was coming next. And it was a hard transition in the sense where you go from as, you know, leaving home at 15, 16 to play hockey and be around teammates to now by yourself. And it's, it's, a, it's a lonely place to be where you wake up and it's a Wednesday afternoon or sorry, Wednesday morning and you're, no one's telling you where to go and what, where, when, what to do. And it's very jarring going from doing that your whole life to then being kind of on your own going, I can do whatever I want. And that's both scary and also really exciting. And it's bizarre because when people retire from playing hockey or playing pro sports, it's you don't sometimes even miss the game. It's like you miss your teammates and yeah. you miss come of the rink and the camaraderie where all of a sudden now you might be hanging out. Maybe it's just a spouse or, or, or friends in town, but you're, you're missing your teammates. And that, that was really difficult for me. I was a big team guy and loved hanging with my teammates and going out and doing stuff and being close. And that's why I think I was fortunate enough to win as many championships as I did. Cause I played with such great people. Yeah. And it was hard for me, Brady. I struggled for, for four or five months. I had no idea I was going to do. I have a high school education. And um, it was scary. And, and so what was the first step that you took? I, I know you've done quite a bit of coaching since then. Um, and we'll get into what you're doing now because I think it's just incredible. Um, I've done a lot of reading and, and seen the catalog now and stuff too. But what was the first step, um, you know, heading out of hockey? What was the first thing that you went to? So I got some really good advice earlier on and one of kind of my mentors and he said to me is if you're going to be wrong, be wrong quick. And it just stuck with me right away because I had so many teammates retire and then they say, I don't know what I want to do next, but they actually then, and it, it's almost like a decision by paralyzation. Like they never made a decision. So that in itself was a decision, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and he's like, if you're going to be wrong, be wrong quick, go and do something. Cause you're going to find out right away if that's going to be for you or not. Don't talk about coaching for six months or a year and think about it. Just go coach and you're going to find if you fall in love with it or not, because if you don't love with you with what you do, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a long, long days, no matter what industry you're in. And so what do I know? I know hockey. Okay. Let's go to the local rink, call up the local rink. I don't really know anybody there. 
call the GM and say, Hey, listen, I just retired. Here's my kind of what I've done. Can I come just be around the kids and get on the ice again? You have to pay me anything. I just want to see if I like it. And that was my first step of life after hockey, ironically enough, back in a hockey rink. And Brady, I probably spent eight to nine hours in the rink starting then, more than I had ever played my, or spent in my whole life playing as a life after hockey, which is super ironic. And I remember just being in the, in the lobby and talking to parents. I'd, I'd finish a lesson and talk to, for two or three hours to parents about hockey. And yeah. I was so passionate about it. It would come through in my coaching and my speech. So my first call after playing hockey is let's get down in the local rink, started coaching, doing lessons, and it felt normal again. It felt normal. I had a routine. I had a schedule. Now that brought me back to the gym because I wanted to be able to skate with these kids and feel good and feel happy and healthy. So then my routine started coming. I started getting happier. And that yeah. was a big step for me. I also learned I didn't want to be a coach the rest of my life. And I mm -hmm. knew... What I was doing now, I liked, but I didn't want to do this for the next 30 years. So it was really twofold. And I really implore anybody listening right now that's retiring or close to retiring, don't wait, get into something else after, find out if you love it. If you love it, hallelujah, you're on your next path. And if you don't love it, hallelujah, because now you can pivot and go find something else that you like to do better. So now I've transitioned away from coaching, but if I didn't go and coach after I done, uh, done playing, I would have been in a real bad spot. No doubt. And it, yeah, just at least it got you in that routine. And so tell people a little bit about what you're doing now with Zenkai and how that came about. You know, you told me the story on the phone and I think it's uh, it's a really cool story and, and I absolutely love the product. I haven't seen it or tried it, but the science behind it is pretty, it's honestly, it's kind of mind blowing that we're, we're here. There's a lot of cool gadgets and stuff in the world, but when you're thinking about being an athlete and, and the clothing and, and take it from me, I'm out there rollerblading a couple hours a day now getting ready for this cross counter rollerblade. And sometimes I just got a cotton shirt on and I'm just like, by the end of it, I'm soaking wet. And like, some, if I stop, I'm cold and I go for a flip, <laughs> try to put that shirt back on. It's like 10 pounds. And I'm like, holy cow. So tell us a little bit about how you got into Zenkai and, and that story. Cause I think it's really cool. Yeah, no, thank you. So um, my my coaching trip ended up take, taking me to China for two years, and I ended up working with the NHL in China over there, running my own consulting company. And then I retired in Portland, Oregon, which is the headquarters of obviously Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. So I ended up meeting someone that uh, is it through through Nike, a friend at Nike, who's a textile scientist, and he developed a, a technology called Filium that you can apply to actually cotton shirts. Um, that this is this incredible byproduct. So the kind of science behind it, Brady, which I'm super excited about, and so I can't wait for you to try our stuff, is that I started asking questions to all these you know, trainers and these sports science and, and doctors saying, like, why do we sweat? And people, it's funny, hadn't really talked about sweat in the terms of performance before. So we as human beings sweat to cool ourselves down. It's called thermal regulation. And basically, the chemical reaction of our sweat going from water to vapor that's what cools us down. So the idea of dry fit or moisture wicking is a marketing term. There's no science behind that. It's you know marketing by some of the best companies in the world, the best marketing companies in the world is dry fit moisture wicking. So that actually hurts our bodies because the moisture gets sucked up into your shirt. So your shirt's soaking wet, but your skin's dry. So then your body says, hey, I got to start working harder to produce more sweat because we're overheating. So you actually, it's this vicious cycle, you overheat even quicker and your performance suffers. So I'm like, hang on a second, there's something there. So with our Philium technology and Zenkai, our stuff repels water. 
lot of companies do that. They claim that. The reason ours is different is because we're using cotton. So we're sustainable, we're eco-friendly, we're biodegradable. Once you throw our shirts away in the landfills, they're going to go back into the earth. So we've got a cool eco-friendly angle, but we also help athletes, which is I'm super passionate about. So because when you wear our stuff, like when you wear when you start your cross-country tour and we hook you up with stuff, your sweat's going to evaporate naturally through our breathable cotton material. And it's going to, you're going to have less sweat on your body. So you're actually going to stay cooler. The other byproduct of that is because it doesn't repel the sweat, it doesn't repel odor. So you're going to be able to wear your shirt three, four, five, seven, eight days in a row with no smell, which as you know, being in a hockey locker room is like one of the most disgusting places on the planet. So we've got pro teams, university teams wearing our stuff going, man, we're doing laundry once a week now instead of every single day because your apparel is so incredible so we're the only eco-friendly cotton-based performance apparel in the market uh zenkai sports and we're super excited about it we only launched a few months before the pandemic started so uh you know kudos to me not seeing the uh, the pandemic happen and it's been a struggle the last year and a half of the pandemic but we're we're slowly getting out of it well yeah and this is the thing right like i'm telling you i'm wearing sometimes polyester shorts and by the time i'm done rollerblading i'm like i can't even stand the smell of myself because you know all that sweat and stuff is just locked right in there um and so like i'm super excited to to try the product and uh, it's interesting too because like there are so many um you know there's just this terminology out there that gets thrown around and it seems it's misleading, right? Like all the, some of these other companies were not, I'm not going to name any names or anything. Cause I don't even know enough about it. And I don't really feel like getting charged with slander or whatever that looks like. <laughs> but at the same time, at the same time, like I know for a fact that a lot of these companies, cause I've worn a lot of their stuff under my hockey gear and different things. And, and, and again, it stinks and it's soaking wet and it's, you know, and it's not comfortable. Um, I love the piece that you mentioned, though, about how your performance may be it, not even maybe where it's actually decreasing because your body is kind of in like working even harder than it needs to. Right. So it's there's something to that. And it definitely sparked my imagination. Um, how can people you know, get your products? Are you planning on being in stores or or what's the future for Zenkai look like? Yeah, great question. We're we're right now we're direct to online, so so DTC, so ZenkaiSports.com. Uh, we got some really cool partners. Uh, we actually just uh, two years now have a partnership with the NHL um, referees and officials. Sorry, officials, uh, all the referee and linesmen. So they're uh, I think seventy percent of the guys are wearing Zenkai underneath all of their their um, their uniforms on the ice. So we have world class professional athletes using our product that are loving it, which has been really, you know, really exciting for me to be a young founder and a young CEO um, of a, of an apparel startup company. So yes, please everyone check us out zenkaisports.com. Check us out on Instagram. Um, go buy us online; you won't be disappointed. And um, we're hopefully continue to make some waves here um, as all these uh, sports teams get back playing after the pandemic. Absolutely. And I'm pretty sure there's, you guys have um, a deal, some sort of deal going on. Uh, join the, join your guys' Zenkai club or uh, the ZNA club, ZNA up here in Canada. Is that still going on? Yes, it is. And that's actually, uh, thank you for bringing it up. Um, if you sign up for that, it's free. And the first two products, if you choose to buy are 50% off. Um, and then the rest of the year, you're going to get a discount on the entire line on our store. So Club ZNA is a great place to go if, that, if you haven't tried our stuff. Get a couple t-shirts uh we have men's and women's apparel on there 50 percent off so it's a really low barrier to entry to, to let us uh uh let us uh, take over your wardrobe as far as uh, being your next apparel provider for all those athletes out there 
Of course. And I also noticed, and I'm not sure if they're available yet online because I didn't see them there, but through what you sent me, you guys, if you're, whether they're available or not, I know that you guys are, are going to be doing it. Um, actually, and I'm excited about it for when I go back and play because I'm actually going to play some senior men's this year. Um, you, Amazing. Guys are, you guys are doing like, a, you know, like the with the Velcro um, yep. hockey pants. So we've, Okay. Yeah, so we, with obviously with my hockey background, Brady, we want to be in the hockey locker rooms, men's league, junior leagues, um, you know, minor hockey. So we have all built-in uh, compression base layer with cups. So you have a built-in pocket for a cup, Velcros on both the front and the back. So you can put your socks on there. So they're all hockey specific. Um, our number one seller, one of our number one sellers is our Lace Bite socks. So oh, we have yeah? built-in Lace Bite. I don't know if you've ever had Lace Bite. It's of course. Awful. Oh, of course. It just makes grown men cry oh yeah hang down the toughest guys that lace bites so we have a, a built-in lace bite hockey sock with padding in there that's built in so it's not gonna you have to wear one of those bunga pads sometimes yeah. shift in your, oh, in your I bunga pads i would yeah. just, just go with the lace bite i was like take that oh. pad out, and i would just oh my god especially when i started to go because like, i go ex like tongues out extended tongues when i made that why wouldn't you there was like there was like four months where i just had the worst lace bite i'd never had it before yep. like, what the heck is this right and those bunga pads i mean they i use them sometimes but that's exciting that see i didn't i didn't see that product that might be something because of all the rollerblading that i'm going to be doing and I'm it's going to be a game saver yeah you absolutely so i'm uh yeah i have a, a little team behind me i'm gonna definitely bring this to their attention and i know that uh you know we talked about possibly doing some some cross, cross collaboration or you utilizing your product yes, sir. stuff that we're doing so you know it when that happens i'll definitely be making sure everybody knows but um doug man i, I want to say thanks for your time and and i can't wait till you know one day we can actually meet up and, and have lunch or whatever because we're really not that far man you could come up i know come up to Muskoka anytime, um, you know, either this summer or come play on some outdoor rinks or some frozen lakes. Cause I live in paradise up here, man. It's pretty cool. No, I love it. I've been there a few times uh, in the last uh, month, but it's been different with the pandemic. So I'm excited to come up with you. I can grab a coffee together and uh, it's great to see you Brady. And I, I really uh, appreciate what you're doing and, you know, being an, an ex athlete like yourself. And I was fortunate when I, I had a, an upbringing that, um, Gave, gave me certain, you know, advantages. And I just want to make sure any players out there that always look after your teammates and you never know when someone's struggling and be a good teammate, ask how guys are feeling, go take a guy aside or a girl aside and, and just connect with them because mental health is a real thing. All of us go through it. And uh, thank you for, for spreading the word and, um, and being so open about your story. Hey man, thank you. And uh, that's some great advice. Um, a very, very, very important advice. And I think there's never uh, a right or wrong time where we can pull people aside and just have that conversation and it doesn't always have to be invasive or anything. Sometimes you never know when just ha striking up a conversation can really shift someone's mood or, or get them going in the right direction just to know that they're cared about and somebody will listen to them regardless if it's a teammate or a friend or a sibling or whatever. So I think that's great advice, Doug. And um, I'll be sure to you know post all the links uh, for Zenkai. If you're listening to this, you're not watching, you don't see it uh, under the screen there uh it'll be in the description i get most of the people will actually listen to this via audio believe it or not that's where i get Great. my majority of the the viewership um you know if you are make sure you subscribe and if you're watching on youtube press like press subscribe um doug thank you so much man and uh we're gonna be talking lots in the near future 
Great. Thanks, Brady. Have a great hey, weekend. We'll talk soon. Before you, before you go, please tell your mom and dad I said hi and, and the brothers. And of course, Jason. And, uh, you know, I'd love to connect with him one day as well because I owe him a we'll huge do. thank you. I don't even think he knows that uh, he saved my life all those years ago. So it was him and, we'll him, and a, him and a team of firefighters, but nonetheless, he was there. So, um, yeah. Thanks again, Doug. We'll do. Thanks, Brady. Talk soon. Talk soon. Awesome, guys. That's Doug Lynch. Thanks, Doug. Um, make sure you check out at Zenkai Sports on Instagram, ZenkaiSports.com. It's going to be in the description um, for the video and the audio as soon as we're done here. Um, once again, though, what a great guy. And I'll tell you what, the Lynch family, an incredible family. Um, his mom and dad were always so nice. They were staples in the hockey rink uh, for, for myself growing up. Um and it's, it's nice to see uh, a former pro athlete finding his way kind of outside of hockey, but tying that, you know, that love, that passion, that knowledge of hockey and athletics uh, back into what he's doing now. So it's, uh, it's really nice to see. Um, and, you know, you hear from him. He was a guy that pretty much had a, had a fantastic life playing pro and, and on the outside, he never seemed like it was hard, but even he had dark times. We all have dark times. You're never alone. Just know that. You're never alone, regardless if you're a hockey player, a hockey fan, a, a garbage man, a firefighter, a doctor, a student in school. It doesn't matter. All of us are equal, and at the end of the day, we all deserve to be loved. We all deserve to be happy. I meant to bring this picture up. The story of a brand, how pro hockey prepared this apparel founder. Um, I'm, ser I'm serious guys, check it out. Their products are unbelievable and their, <laughs> their price points right on par with Under Armour. But in my opinion, I haven't tried them yet, but through the science and everything, it's even better. So it's, again, it's just one of these things that I can, I think is going to be take off in the hockey world. I remember when like something like Under Armour first came out, everyone's like, what the heck is this? Um, and now look, it's a, it's almost a part of our culture. Um, you know, I wear an Under Armour backpack when I'm rollerblading. Um, and I hope to see Zenkai in the same fashion. I love the fact that it's a former pro hockey player finding his way outside of hockey. Guys, if you want to support anything that I'm doing, you can support Puck Support. PuckSupport.com. Still have a promo code up. I haven't been advertising it, but for you guys, the listeners, promo code never forget. Going to save you 15 percent off your entire purchase hats like this this is the brennan detloff hat that i had on last episode behind me this hat here we got matthew lazinski in this hat in my hoodie this is my purple and gray hoodie it's mitch fadden my former line mate for a short time roommate in the american hockey league i talk about him all the time Miss you, Mitch. What a great hockey player he was. Even better guy. We honor all those that we've lost prematurely. And I think about them all the time, each and every single one of them. I personally put every single name that goes into our apparel. It's me that presses that name in there. And I've said this quite a few times on my show. Every time I do it, I see my name going in it. And it reminds me how lucky I am to still be alive and still have the opportunity to do some of the things that maybe I never thought I would get to. And all along the way, you know, I'm not just doing it for me. In fact, I'm really not doing it for me. I'm doing it for all those that we've lost and 
I, I honestly, guys, I can't even put it into words. It breaks my heart to have to look at that picture of all those we've lost, to have to look at these pictures, to have to put the names in the clothing. It breaks my heart every single time. When I talk with the families, that's the hardest part. But the experience has been way better than I would have expected. I actually think that what I'm doing here, what Puck Support's doing is actually helping some of the families that have lost loved ones, those behind me. And that's what gets me out of bed. I say it all the time, guys. This is what gets me out of bed every, every day in the morning, honoring these men and women behind me, doing it, fighting the good fight for all those who continue to struggle because I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to wake up with absolutely no hope. In fact, I know what it's like waking up wanting to die. My first thing in the morning was thinking, oh, just kill me. I, uh, for years, and I would just use drugs, just use drugs, hoping that the next one would kill me. I never enjoyed life as a drug addict. I actually hated my life every second of it and just wanted to die. And I don't feel that way today. If you're struggling with mental illness or addiction, there is hope. It's not easy. It's probably gonna hurt. I'm an emotional mess on most days. I cry every single day, whether it's for good reasons, because I'm watching America's Got Talent, something like that. Those shows, commercials make me cry. Sometimes I just think about my kids and I cry, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with breaking down and, and, and feeling my emotions and actually feeling them, not trying to escape from them, not trying to mask them by drugs or alcohol or anything. And it feels damn good. It is possible. If I can do it, I promise you, you can do it. I used to hate when people say that to me, but it's true. It's true. Thank you guys so much for sticking with me. Thank you once again to Doug Lynch. Make sure you check out Zenkai Sports, guys. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Once again, especially to my dad, Brian Leibold. Where the hell would I be without this guy? I would have been dead a long time ago. It's been four, over four years since I've been able to see my dad. And the last time I was with my dad, I was actually hiding in the bathroom, using drugs in the airport, thinking that he left. And he stormed in the bathroom and caught me. And that was the last time that I saw my dad. That was the life that you know I was living. And I can't wait to see him again. Dad, I love you. Once again, happy Father's Day. Can't wait to play some golf. To Brooklyn and Brody, I love you. I miss you like crazy. I will never give up. I will never, ever, ever give up. Thanks again to Taylor and the kids for this beautiful gift. I absolutely love this. The pictures are just incredible. The meaning behind it, the puzzle pieces of Brooklyn and Brody, those are the pieces that are missing. It's a... Uh, pretty thoughtful gift so thank you it's um yeah it's amazing so thank you so much anyways guys the last thing i'll say and i hate i never i don't like to bring this up very often but if you actually want to support me directly i do have a patreon patreon.com slash brady Liebold. this money goes to right now i'm you know i have a few pledges the them being david carlson Stuart smith my auntie lee um, a couple others, sorry, I'm forgetting. Um, I shouldn't have named any because now I feel bad that I'm not naming them all. But this money here like really goes to 
help me and help pay for this podcast. You know, there's expenses that come with it through using this program and everything else. Um, I hate even talking about it, but people often ask, they're like, hey, can I send you money? Can I do this? And I hate taking anything from anybody, but Patreon at least, you know, I'm going to be using it a lot on my Cross Canada Rollerblade for like behind the scenes stuff and, and things like that. Um, and we're also going to be doing some giveaways to all the Patreon patrons. I think it's patrons moving forward. So if you do want to support me directly, feel no pressure, but it's out there. I'd rather you do this and there's different levels per month. I'd rather you do this than offer to send me money. I am grateful to everyone who's supporting me. I hate turning people down, but it makes me feel awkward. I would rather that money go to great causes like puck support or somewhere else. I really don't need much today, guys. I really don't need much. I have pretty much nothing, but I have everything I need in this moment, and I'm working my butt off to get where I want to go in life. Thank you all for your support. To all my family back home, I love you. I miss you. We're back here Wednesday night, same bat time, same bat channel. I forget who I'm having on the show. I do have a guest lined up, but I haven't announced it yet, and I don't have time to open my calendar. So, um, future guests though: Ryan Johansson, uh, Brenly Shapiro. Um, trying to think of who else we got lined up. I'm the worst. I'm like a goldfish. Five second memory. That means it's time to go. If you're listening, please subscribe. Please, please rate and review. Please share it with your friends if you liked it. Please check out PuckSupport.com. Please check out PuckSupport.com. Follow me on my rollerblades. Shout out to all the great people at True Hockey. Hashtag play true. Very honored to be powered by True Temper Sports, True Temper Hockey. You guys are incredible for believing me. Shout out to my guys at Sonic and B-Sharp, especially Sonic. If you're going to do anything, follow at BladingForBees on Instagram. My man, Zach, is rollerblading across Canada right now. My friends at Sonic have agreed to send him some bearings, which I have, which I'm going to send him. If you want to support Zach, send me a direct message. We're putting something together. He's doing all out of his own, all out of his own pocket. He has no support, no nothing. He's doing it paid for by him. Be kind, be grateful. And remember, have a great day if you so choose. I'm grateful. Oh yeah, able. Oh yeah, I'm stable. Oh yeah, no label. Oh yeah, you know me. I have only a path. I'm lonely, but damn, I'm going Pocket to Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to Aubrey at PrideTape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. 
The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info. Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at mindframe on Twitter plus mindframefit on Instagram. I want the real stuff, everybody listen up, cause I'll only say it once, I'm gonna show you all the path, if you want it bad, I'm gonna show you every side, yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done, I'll be number one, working hella hard until I get just what I want, yeah, rise just like the sun, yeah, fatal like a gun, shooter's gonna shoot and I'm gonna shoot.